Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Bonobus Hicks. And Father, the day that this episode will release is going to be the Feast of St. Benedict, which obviously is an important person to you here, being a Benedictine monk. So I'm not going to be able to be better than you, so I'm just going to let you have the floor immediately. <laughs> I can tell you the questions to ask. Um, <laughs> yeah, so who is St. Benedict uh, would be the... Uh, would be the first question, and and why is he important for someone other than a Benedictine monk? He's, uh, yeah. as you said, Joe, obviously important for me, but is worth talking about because he's really important for everyone. Um, and and then maybe more generally, why do we have saints? Uh, why do we honor them on specific days? And are some saints more important for us than others? Uh, all of those kinds of things are probably uh, useful things to explore. So. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, St. Benedict lived a long time ago. Uh, he lived 1,500 years ago. So he was oh, born wow. in 480 and was born in a little place outside of Rome called Norcia or Nursia. And uh, you can still go there today. His birthplace is commemorated. I've been there. And uh, he, uh, in his then 70 years of life or so, 60-some years of life, he became the founder of Western monasticism. So became uh, really the first to write a rule that had widespread appeal in the, in the Roman, the Latin church. And so Benedictine monasticism spread from St. Benedict all over the world, uh, even to Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And so uh, he's, his monasticism is, is widely acclaimed. And we might wonder, well, why was his rule so successful? That's a mm -hmm. useful question. Um, and then uh, not only did he found monasticism, which still may seem like, you know, a little bit on the margins for most people. I mean, it's nice to know that there are monks, but what impact do they have on anybody's life? Uh, there's a, a very nice book by Thomas Cahill called How the Irish Save Civilization. It's a, it's a related concept that the monks actually became the keepers of uh, knowledge and learning of agriculture and order. And when Europe, especially in the 600s, 700s, 800s, really began to come apart under uh, various uh, barbarians sacking Rome, for example, and a lot of order and empire falling apart, the monks collected books, copied books, kept up learning, kept up agriculture, and created little enclaves of civilization, which became powerful forces for evangelization. So my patron, St. Boniface, uh, who lived in uh, the, he was born in 680, so 200 years after uh, St. Benedict, he uh, really is, he's the apostle to the Germans, and he was a Benedictine monk, and really evangelized in part by establishing monasteries and the attractive power of monasteries as places of peace, of agriculture in the midst of barbarian wanderings and uh, uh, tribes hunting, uh, the, the attraction of being able to establish a regular life around crops and to grow food and to raise uh, animals and things like that was very attractive to them. So, um, so St. Benedict launched a, a movement of monasticism. Now, it's interesting, some of the dimensions of that monasticism, but it included a significant portion of which was 
reading and praying with scripture and then an appreciation for letters and learning. And that also led to the establishment of schools and uh, that became an attraction later on for nobles. And so these places of uh, order, they, they became places of science, places of learning, <clears throat> places of literature, really um, founded and, and transformed Western civilization. So Western civilization is really built in many ways on Benedictine monasticism. And so, um, so St. Benedict is, uh, is, is quite an important figure. I mean, just to think of, for one thing, a guy that wrote a rule 1,500 years ago still has thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of men and women uh, dedicated to that rule, following it as monks and nuns. And then we have a lot of lay associates as well who live out the rule in the midst of their married lives or single lives in the, in the midst of their lives in the world. And so that rule to have uh, such an impact and lasting a lasting impact across every continent, uh, Benedictine monks are on every continent. Uh, well, I don't know, Antarctica, Antarctica, anyway, every normally populated continent. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, so, so all of that's very remarkable. He's quite an incredible figure in, in our Western history and is very much worth knowing about for everyone, even for secular history, let alone our our own religious history. So, he's my guy. So I'm, you know, I'm allowed to be enthusiastic about him. But well, sure. hopefully, the the little uh, uh, fervorino I just gave you helps you to be enthusiastic about him as well for for how he formed Western civilization. Yeah, because if you think about it, you know, dark ages come, and there's a lot of reasons to go into it. But one of which was just the general fear and chaos of mankind settling back into what easily could have been the ultimate form of hunting and gathering just that from a barbarian perspective they were doing the natural order of man just going taking what they wanted and then leaving that's essentially what barbarism was at that period and to, to literally see the icon of a monastery to be what's standing up to that I, I think is a great icon for what's going on now in that if you truly root yourself and you protect your people and you encourage them to act in a way of order and peace, great success works better than just trying to run and take what you want and then run away. Um, Cause in a lot of ways that's a human, human nature element that has never gone away. Almost like the, conflict that that's within all of us at some point do i want to try to cut the corner do i want to try to you're a teacher you i'm sure you see students every once in a while morally conflicted you know i could uh you know just have the answers on my phone and kind of casually look at it in the middle of the test or i can you know go upon the basis of my study and hope that things work and i i i just think that there is so much to this in a society that is trying to throw away the past unless it's exactly perfectly advertising what they want their current exception of life to be. And if it's not that, it didn't exist and we shouldn't talk about it. To look at the core element was being close to God, becoming more learning and becoming closer to God in the process and creating a community that has protection and peace because the true enemy to community 
is fear and chaos. I mean, that's my opinion. There might be greater reasons than that, but we look at that period in the world. Peace was not a guarantee um, anywhere. I mean, even when the Rome was their own empire, it wasn't a guarantee. <laughs> you know, obviously, it's shown by the passion itself, and I think that it's something important to think about and how embracing the past and, and, and celebrating a champion that laid literally the foundations of Europe and, and how to create peace and structure throughout the world, yet we never give credit to it. It just seems outstanding. Like, why? Why would we bypass something just because it's old? And he didn't have LED lights when he did it. Who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know? that's right. Even more impressive for that reason. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, you make a great point about peace, you know, and the, there's, it's often contrasted the peace, the Pax Romani, the peace of the Roman Empire, and the Pax Benedicti, the peace that was brought about by Benedict. Uh, and that peace of the Roman Empire was a peace of conquest and control. So mm -hmm. peace, one way to uh, define peace is the tranquility of order. So how do you establish order? You can establish order from the top down through threat and fear and control through conquest. And that was really the Pax Romani, uniting the whole empire under one head, um, but then controlling every area. And the, what we know very well is the way that the Roman Empire controlled Jerusalem, uh, Israel. And, and then we can see the kind of uh, fearful control that they established over Israel. Pontius Pilate being an extreme, but, uh, but still an example of, of how Rome controlled things and, and therefore brought order and so established a kind of peace, a fearful peace of compliance. The peace of Benedict, as you were just describing, Joe, is uh, a different approach that's helping people to engage freedom, to, to remove the interior obstacles that make conflict, that make chaos, that make disorder, and establishing an order exteriorly, so a regular schedule and uh, the regularity of agriculture and uh, the, the, uh, the process of you know, buildings and protecting from the environment. So protecting from outside forces in order to create an environment in which there's genuine freedom. And because the human heart is oriented to the good, uh, if you allow, if you help the human heart to be free enough, and that happens through healing under grace, Jesus makes us free and he heals us. And then we're drawn to the good. And then a community of uh, believers drawn to the good with the right external helps and the right kind of collaboration uh, establish a different kind of order, an order in which each person is free and thrives and all work together in a harmony. And then that harmony is a, is a real peace that's established under Christ. And that's really what the moral law is meant to do. And that's what Christ came to establish for us as well. And so the, uh, the Pax Benedicti is a very different kind of uh, order of freedom and growth, a kind of moving into a space that naturally works together rather than being kind of crunched up and controlled, uh, gripped and forced uh, as it would have been under the Roman Empire previous to that. And I think as we dive into what it is here, there's going to be a lot of pushback. And this could just be because of the terms that are used or but what's needed here. But 
ultimately, you talked about freedom. Freedom coming to the individual to allow them to orient themselves to the good. But the cause was a list of rules. So there's going to be a, a natural argument that goes, how can I have freedom if I have to follow all of these rules? And So the I, I rule of this, Benedict is not a list of rules. Well, that, that's part of what I want to dive into, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the way that, uh, you know, it's not like a mom's rules for, for living. Although it is, so a, a rule is a... a a measure. We get the word the rule in Latin is regula, and that's where we get the word regular. So, okay. how do we establish a regular pattern, a pattern according to a rule? And, you know, for example, a really easy way to understand this: if you've ever been driving in uh, in India, this is the first time that the first place that I made this connection. Um, people are like on the sidewalk, in between the lanes, are. And, and they're like pushing and pushing and pushing and everybody's going like 20 miles an hour because it's just saturated. There's no, it's, it's all chaos. You can't trust that there isn't going to be some, you know, bike or cow or something that jumps in the middle of the street at any given moment. And so everybody's effectively crawling along in these city spaces. And uh, in contrast, when you have clearly defined rules, when you know that you can trust if it's a green light, you can just power through it. You don't need to stop. You don't need to look. You don't need to wait in case there's going to be something strange happening. You don't need to worry that someone's going to you know, run up against the side of you and you're not constantly on alert that strange things are going to happen. You're not looking for your way up on the sidewalk so that you can avoid a bunch of things. And you're going you know, 30, 40, 50, 70 miles an hour on high, on, on, uh, highways or, you know, or more in some cases. So when you have rules and people follow the rules, it actually facilitates greater freedom. You can move more freely in a place, in, a, in an environment where everybody is following rules that are meant to facilitate that. Now, some kinds of rules are meant to, are, are what we would call tyranny, where the, the ruler orients all of the rules to his favor. Mm -hmm. And that's not what the rule, that would be the Pax Romani. Everything is oriented to the emperor's favor in a certain extent, certain sense. But the, the Pax Benedicti is built on the Benedictine rule, which is really meant to build up charity in a community. And here are the ways that we have to interoperate. Uh, if we're going to pray together, we have to establish regular times for that. We have to have a rule of when we're going to pray so that we can all anticipate when we're going to pray together. And that's you know not to oppress, that's to free and to facilitate. You know, if we're going to uh, eat together uh, because we want to have a community that's bonded in love, we have to establish a way of eating. And then if we're going to maybe listen to some reading at table while we're eating, well, we have to have some established way of doing that, selecting those readings and then having a, a reader and how those things. So so the rules are put in place. Uh, and, and you're right, at, at the first, and, and Benedict notes this, he says, there might be a little bit of uh, strictness at the outset, because when we're fitting ourselves into somebody else's rules, it pinches a little bit around kind of personal uh, expression or you know personal liberty. Well, I have to sacrifice a little bit of my personal liberty to be part of a group. I can't just pray whenever I want. I, if I'm going to pray morning prayer with the community, I have to pray at the same time the community is praying. And so I have to die to myself a little bit to be part of something larger than myself. 
And then I don't need to arrange the prayer every day. The prayer is arranged for me. And so that's freeing. I don't have to constantly do all of this work of preparation. I don't need to constantly recruit people to come and pray with me. We're all praying together as long as we follow the rule that we're praying in this way at this time. And so it facilitates greater interior freedom to arrange some of the, the exterior structures so that we can all thrive together. Yeah. And I'm glad that you spent that time because there's a natural inclination to attack what is built, you know, to, to say, I want to come up with my own thing. I can make it better and so on and so forth. When the reality is, is if we're going to be a part of the group, we have to be accepting of the group. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. There's certain things you accept, whether it's an artificial group or an actual deep, meaningful one. There's some parts that we have to set aside to become deeper and more a part of it. You know, before the invention of the internet, if you wanted to be a part of the company, you had to be where it was. You, know, you actually had to show up and go to it. Now, did you have to be part of that company? No, you can go to one that lives closer to you or whatever. And when we look at it in those contexts, it's like, well, obviously, well, that makes sense. But there's just this over-pressuring and pushing, I don't even know what the right word is, that says, I'm a unique everything, and everything about me, therefore, is perfect, and I'm super special, and if you try to challenge any one little element of me, I have the right to blow up and explode, no matter what the cause is, whether it's facilitating with the group or not. So specifically, the thought that came in my head was that whole rash of plane incidents that happened during COVID. Like, no one had any respect for anyone in that category. Um, but if we're going to be part of a society and a group, it makes sense. Let's have some guidelines. Let's have some basic things. And I love your answer about how that ultimately comes more to freedom and really the only way. And it, it really, in some ways, I, I don't know if you were going this way intentionally or not, but to me sounds like the reason you don't sign up to be in a dictatorship whether it be a full-blown government or the way you just structure your company, family, or whatever, versus allowing everyone to have freedom and trust in them. Because in a certain real sense, the fundamental difference is the empire doesn't trust you not to pay him, so he doesn't give you freedom. So he can oppress you to make sure you give him what he wants. Whereas it's not that the monasteries weren't successful and economically prosperous or any other way of measuring it. They just trusted each other to deliver it. And I, I think that that's something that that's wildly important and kind of rooting back to trust. And it's a lot easier when your ultimate trust goes to God than the guy who's murdering everyone who doesn't agree with him. Just kind of as a basic statement there. <laughs> so, Father, I want to give you a chance here to conclude this episode here, um, you know, about St. Benedict. Yeah, thanks. I guess I just encourage our, our listeners maybe to look up St. Benedict, uh, look up the Benedictine uh, rule, uh, Benedictine monasticism, the impact of St. Benedict uh, on the Western world, and, and start to see where some of those things flow from. I'll, I'll tell you one uh, fun little application. Uh, probably most of our, uh, many of our listeners have been to a graduation if they haven't graduated themselves. Graduation robes are actually Benedictine choir robes. So we, uh, 
the we dressed up because Benedictines also helped found universities. And so the choir robes were the, you know, graduation took place in the context of, uh, of, of uh, liturgical celebration. And so we wore our choir robes and then things began elaborating around the hoods as kind of a distinguishing factor of different departments and things like that. But, uh, but you can look that up, graduation robes. Where do graduation robes come from? And you'll find out that they're from the Benedictine choir robes that we call a, a kukula. So um, just a little aside, you know, that's not the most important thing that Benedictines did, but it's a leftover. Why is it in education? Well, because Benedict really prized uh, praying with scripture and then the learning that surrounds that, learning and study. And, and uh, so there's a, uh, Benedictines have run schools uh, prep schools and colleges, universities for centuries, really going back to the foundation of universities in the, in the 11, 1200s. So, so say a little uh, prayer to St. Benedict for all your own learning needs and, uh, and maybe uh, your own household order. There is a book also called The Benedict Option. You, you mentioned this as a general value uh, that Benedict and monasticism is kind of the thing that we need today. That's Rod Dreher's proposal also in the Benedict Option, that there are a number of things from St. Benedict that we could uh, apply in the context of our modern chaos. Hey, and what a beautiful homework assignment to go do. And anything that takes you out of the chaos, it's going to put you in a better place. That's just fundamentally true. So we'll be with you all again next week, and we will go from there.